Uh, turn to your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Uh, we're coming <clears throat> to the end of our study. I think we'll have one or two more messages after this in the book of Titus. Um, and uh, this morning we're piggybacking on what we had talked about uh, two weeks ago in the gospel. And so I'd like to read to you uh, most of chapter 3. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, um, I'll read this for you. Verse 1 says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. God, we ask your blessing on our time. We realize that apart from your spirit working in our midst and doing your amazing work, uh, God, we cannot uh, understand and be changed. And so we ask that that work be done now in us. We ask that you would open our hearts, humble us. Uh, God, if we are needing to be convicted today, I pray that we would do so. If we would be needing to be encouraged about fulfilling that which is before us, God, I ask that you would do that work as well. God, thank you for your church. Uh, I think of Howard and Mary as they're sharing over in Fellowship Hall. Lord, may that be a blessing to them. May they be encouraged to be serving you. And thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, this morning, uh, as I said before, we piggyback on uh, a discussion about the gospel, the verses prior to the passage that we're looking at this morning. Um I love this passage. It it thrills my heart because it calls us to be different. It calls us to be about doing good works and to to not be treating people and quarreling and being unkind, but be generous and gracious. Uh, why? Because of what Jesus has done for us, that he saved us, not because we were good enough, not because 
Uh, we were kind and nice and good, but the complete opposite, because he was good and we were not. And so uh, this morning, as we move on from there, we really don't move that far uh, because these thoughts are connected. If you look down at verse 8, um, I titled this message, The Excellent and Profitable Life. I wanted it to be a lot longer, but a title can't be too long. I wanted it to be uh, The Excellent and Profitable Life and also The Unprofitable and Worthless Life. But I felt like that was confusing, so... But I said it anyways, just to confuse you. In verse 8, it says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. These things are what he's prior talked about. If you look up at uh, the first part of chapter 3, he calls them to be submissive uh, to rulers and authorities, and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Because, because Jesus has changed us. Because there was a day in the past where we were all caught up in all kinds of sin. And that because of our, our um, bankruptcy, our spiritual bankruptcy, that he changed us. He says, be different, be different. And he says, I, I want you to insist on these things. I want you to make... This, uh, a primary thought to the people. Don't let them get away without thinking about this. He says in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. This morning, as we come to this study, I want you to ask yourself the question, do you believe in God? And when I say believe in God. And when I read this from the passage, we're not talking about his mere existence. You look through this passage and it's not just a question of whether God exists or not. I think in our our world today, sometimes we uh, make it some kind of philosophical discussion. Do you believe in God? Yes. Uh, do you, I do not believe in God. I always think that's a, um, a funny conversation. Uh, because people find great power in saying, you know what? I don't believe in God. They feel really proud of themselves that they've come to this grand conclusion. And very, very powerful, very powerful. And yet that does not change his own existence, does it? The truth of God is true whether he's here or not, whether we're here or not. You know, He exists whether we want to believe it or not. But that's not the issue here. It's far greater. It's the question here or, or what he is placing before us is, have you trusted in him? That word belief is not a, a word of just intellect. It's the idea that have you placed your faith in him? It's a word of salvation. And that's the question here this morning for you, even as before we get rolling. Do you believe in God? Or do you believe in yourself? Or do you believe in this world? Or do you believe that things are just going to get better over time? Do you believe in something? Are you trusting in something else? Because if you are, uh, go back to the gospel. Let's start there. Jesus died for sinners. You are a sinner. Apart from His grace in your life, you, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. 
And apart from God entering your life and saving you by the blood of Jesus, you will remain dead in your trespasses and sins. But it goes like this, that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death in our place. If we would trust in him, he will and has paid for our sins. And by trusting in him, we can have new life because of his great mercy and grace, because of his kindness. Even in this passage, as we look, he says in verse 5 to those past tense, he says, hey, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that God does a work in you, that he washes and cleans you up, that he brings you new life where there was deadness, and he does it because of his grace and mercy. It's interesting, we're going to get to, I just read in verse 5, works, and we're going to get to works again for us today. But for you, those of you who have trusted in God, that you believe in him, this is what he calls us to do in verse 8. He says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Careful. Careful to devote yourself. The idea of being careful, you know about being careful. It's not being reckless. It's not just going about doing life. When you become busy and careless and reckless, what happens? You forget what you're doing, right? You forget what you're doing. You you treat things that are super important uh, with not a lot of care. And what happens, you break things and it, you hurt people and you run over people and you get speeding tickets and various other things happen when you quit thinking about it and you rush into life. And he says, don't do that. If you believe in God, you, you have an ability because you have been changed inside to now step back and say, I don't have to rush and I don't have to go accomplish. God is already taking care of me. Now is the time for me to carefully devote myself. Carefully devote myself to what? The idea of, uh, we'll get to what in a minute, but if you, if you get the idea of devotion, it's the idea of busying yourself. Making yourself busy. It's the idea of practicing a profession. It's connecting what we believe with how we live. And it's the idea of these God-prompted deeds. God-prompted deeds. We believe in God. We're supposed to carefully devote ourselves to good works. To good works. It's interesting. Uh, do these good works save us? They don't, do they? Verse 5, look at it. I already read it. Right? It's not because of our works. They don't save us. In fact, works apart from faith are wasted time. Are wasted time. In fact, they're almost deceptive. Because uh, you get the feeling as we, we do things, as we give, as we think we're doing acts of kindness and goodness, and we do those and, and we step back from them, they go, oh, what a good person I am. God must, I must be right with God because of the good things that I've done. <laughs> it's not true. Our good works do not work, okay? They don't work. 
apart from God working in us. Because he saved us. Not on the basis of those works, but according to his mercy, his grace in our lives. And now it's on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, of trusting in him, of his work, his finished work. Paul now says in the inspiration of God, Titus, make sure they know, make sure they understand. Once you have believed in God, once you have a relationship with the Father through the Son, now is a time for good works that are born out of the gospel in your life. Now's the time for good works. Not in pride, filling up ourselves and saying, oh, what, what a good person I am for doing this, but now in a response to the gospel of God in us. Because of what he's done in us, we now are free. We are free for good works. I think it's interesting how he concludes this uh, thought of reminding these people to to not to not uh, forget what they are made for, what they are saved for, to devote themselves to good works. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. The picture here is this, that they are, um, I don't know if you've seen those baseball caps, but you look on the back and it says, one size fits most, fits most. And uh, there are some people that have, uh, you know, their cranius maximus. You know, they have really big heads and they do not fit in that. Or they are very small. If you've ever seen, uh, I, I remember our boys trying on hats and sometimes they would crank the Velcro all the way to the end and it would still, they'd still be swimming in it, right? One size fits most. That's not what this passage is talking about here. He says, this fits all. This fits all. And it's the idea here, is this something for women? Yes. This is, uh, this is something for men too, though, right? Uh, is this for the young or the old? Is this for the teenager? Is this for the person who lives in Tehachapi or the person who lives in Kenya or the person who, who lives in Siberia? You know, does it matter uh, your ethnicity here? Is this a, a this is a racial thing, or you're black, or you're white, or you're Asian, or is there some kind of barrier here that this is only for a particular group? He says, no, this is the life for everybody. This is what's good for everybody. I think in our world today, uh, whether it be uh, a racial thing, whether it be an economic thing, whether it be a national thing, people like to distinguish. You say, "Oh, uh, United States Americans, you know, they're they're a Christian nation. The Bible's for them, but it doesn't work for us. We're not part of that. We're we're secular Europe, or we're part of a Muslim country, or or we believe in uh, various gods in different places, and we we are jungle people. And no, no, this is the life for everyone. That Jesus Christ would save them from their sins, and then as they have been saved and relieved and freed from the payment of their sins, that now they are free to live this beautiful life of good works. And this is going to be excellent and profitable for everyone. You, you know, uh, um, 
the idea of excellent is, is the idea of goodness and superiority, a, a beauty to it. And the word profitable, uh, we know about that word, right? It's the idea of being it fruitful and, and worthwhile, an investment word. You know, uh, I, I think that sometimes profitable has gotten a bad name in our country. You know, uh, we're good at wasting time. We're good at wasting time. Uh, we we have this idea that, you know, just clocking in and clocking out and, you know, because you've lived the day, it must have been good. But have you ever felt that awful feeling in your heart where your day has been worthless? Don't you feel that? That, that feeling of like, yeah, you know, I, I, I spent the day and maybe I've even done things, but it's just been worthless. You know what? I want to tell you that he's giving us, he's giving us the secret to not live that worthless life, but live a life that's excellent and profitable. The idea that there's a fullness and a goodness to it. And what is that found in? First of all, it's found in Jesus, right? That's the foundation. Do not go on to step two before you have taken care of step one. Uh, it won't work apart from that. In fact, it'll be a, a bit of, a, you know, the hamster wheel where we're running really hard, but now we're, we're not getting very far, you know. There's a sense of, you know, we can do the mo- go through the motions of doing something. We can even feel like we're doing something. And yet, apart from having a relationship with the Father through the Son, there will be a sense of worthlessness to our life no matter what we accomplish. You look at this and you say, boy, this is what I need to be about. I want to have an excellent and profitable life. I don't want to look back at my life and say it was worth nothing. It's interesting. Um, Do you think about your life in terms like that? Do you wonder uh, what your kids are going to do with uh, your stuff after you're gone? Do you wonder? Things that you held so dear... You know, this is my favorite thing. And they're like, you know, it, it, oh, that's nice. Inside they're saying, that's ugly. You know, uh, uh, it, you, you look at uh, some of the, the possessions that you held so dear and you spent so much time on. Or even the, the recreation and the things that you, you held dear. Or maybe even your occupation and your even the things that you love to talk about and inside uh, the next generation saying, who cares? Who cares? But what will be a guarantee that your life, your life will be excellent and profitable is that it be filled with good works that flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Out of what God has done for you, you now go by his own prompting to serve others and take care of others. To do, to serve. You, you know, you think about this, the, the idea of good works. And uh, I think sometimes it's the idea of work itself is repulsive to most of us. Um, but the idea of doing good things for others, most of us still haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I hate to say that. Uh, we're we're mostly selfish people and there's there's a sense of tokenism that we say yeah i'll be nice to you i'll do something kind to you if i don't have to go far out of my way 
if I don't, if it doesn't cost me too much, uh, I'll give you maybe my extras. <laughs> I, I will give you hand-me-downs and spares. But the idea of good works is that we would practice the the gospel coming out to you. And you think about that. How did the gospel come to you? Was it token? Was it a little bit of extra? God says, I have a little bit of extra goodness. Maybe I'll give it to you. I was going to throw it away anyways. But uh, yeah, no, it's costly. Cost his son. He loved us in extravagant ways. And the, the picture here is that is our picture of good works. His work done for us is now our work and the picture of works that we would do for one another. Good works should flow from our life that has been changed by the gospel. And this will be the excellent and profitable life. Well, let's also look at verse 9. And it, it, I mean, we change gears here. We, you know, that's a great conversation. Good works that flow out of the gospel. That's a great message right there. And then let's turn the corner. Okay? Now we're going downhill. Um, Verse 9 says this, but avoid... And maybe maybe the deal is this. I, I'd say it this way. Um, I, I think sometimes we find it easy and we say, oh, it'll be no problem. I'll just follow after God and um, I, I won't be distracted at all. I'll live in uh, uh, Tehachapi, the land of four seasons or so. And uh, we, we, everything will just be easy to do these good works. It's not easy, is it? And so he puts a warning in there puts a warning that this will not happen. That this isn't something... He, he wouldn't call us to be devoted to something that comes so naturally, right? He also wouldn't uh, call us to avoid if there weren't other temptations that are drawing us away. But this is what he says. Verse 9. Uh, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You find that interesting? The complete opposite is true for the other kind of life. That there's another kind of life that is tempting us and drawing us that we must shun and avoid. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the L.A. area, is it a good idea uh, to hop on the 405 freeway at 6 p.m. on a Friday? No. If you don't know, don't do it. I, I remember uh, this girl was planning a party, and uh, it was an engagement party or something, and it was in that area. And she put on the directions. She she had directions to the house where it was being held. And in big, probably the biggest font, you know, the biggest thing, it just says, avoid the 405. Why? It's the idea that you see danger and you're like skirting your way around. You're like, no, whatever I do, no, I will not be a part of that. No, that's the picture of this, this list that he's going to give us of four things. He says, avoid it, shun it, make sure it's not a part of your life. What is it? Stupid, controversial topics. Okay, stupid, controversial topics. You look down at foolish controversies. Um, We should not be good at debating and starting arguments 
we should be good at avoiding them. We should be good at it. We should train ourselves in the gospel to say, how can I connect with this person? How can I bring calm and joy to their life? And not controversy and, and, and arguing about silly things. Um, let me say something really carefully, very carefully, okay? I want to say this carefully. Um, doctrinal statements in churches are dangerous things. You know why? Because some of us read them in hopes that we'll find a place where we can divide. We read them and we're going, ah, let's see what you really believe. I'm looking for some weakness here. Give me something we can argue about. I realize there's things that that we should argue about and there's some things that are worthy to discuss But the picture here is this, that the life that God has changed in the gospel is not looking for foolish controversies, is not looking to drum that up, but they're looking for things to partner with and things to encourage one another with, the good deeds that come from the gospel. Stupid controversial topics or foolish controversies. Uh, He goes on to talk about... um, other things, maybe some that we don't uh, connect with that well, but it's the same idea of finding things that are worthless to talk about. Genealogies, genealogies. In God's people, being God's people, there's a sense of genealogy that was important. I'm, I'm a, an Israelite, I, I'm a Jew, and this is my lineage, and these are my fathers. And, and, and what it gets to, I don't know if you've noticed this, that we, many times we talk about our fathers and our mothers and our grandparents and the pride of our forefathers that have gone back generations and great things that have happened in the past. And, and while we're talking about that, we're setting up uh, things more important than today, than today. That we're talking about things that have impact on us today, but they are not things that uh, destine us today. And so some, some people in that day, were, they loved to sort out genealogies and say, oh, this person is like this because they're of this family and that family. And, and those were worthless topics. Those were things that they were placing weight on them that did not deserve. And he says, so avoid this kind of life. These controversies, these race and lineage instead of the value of the person of today. And then he says this, and maybe this word is the word that that sticks out for us, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, or divisions. He says, uh, don't look to separate. Don't look to separate. Don't be one who's given to separation or, or seeking to separate or, or, or wanting to stir up people into parties and, and sex and you're of this party and that party. Don't, don't do it. Because of the grace of the gospel, he has changed us. I realize even because of this church's history, even fairly recent history, Boy, this hits a little too close to home. Don't be seeking to separate. Don't be seeking to separate. Avoid it, in fact. And lastly, he says, quarrels about the law. 
God's people, the Jews, uh, they loved to quarrel about the law. They loved to seek to understand it more than the other guy and make uh, interpretations that would grant them a different place and a superior place to one another. And he says, don't quarrel about the law. Don't quarrel about it. Avoid it, in fact. This is the life that you need to avoid. And why? We went over this already, but he says this. Why should you avoid these things? Because they are unprofitable and worthless. You know, you know what's interesting about this? As you can be living your life connected to a local church and your life still be worthless and unprofitable. That, that should stir us and shock us, right? Sometimes we look at that as that good work that's going to do us just right. You know, I went to church. I was in attendance. You should see my attendance record. It's stellar. It's stellar. I, I got checks in every box. The point is not your attendance. You should be here. But the point is not whether you're here. It's, it's how you're acting as you're here in community with one another. It's the things that you love. Do you love arguing and hashing over things that are totally unprofitable? Do you, do you love it and do you love going to your corner and saying, that person's wrong over there? I, 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 you know, I'm not a part of them. I don't, I don't really agree with them. And even, even sometimes I hear people introduce people or talk about someone in the church and they say, yeah, but you know about them, don't you? No, what about them? Oh, they believe this, this, and this, and they're wrong. Oh, yeah? Well, you're a blast to be with, you know? This is not where we're to be in the church. In fact, we're to avoid avoid this kind of behavior personally. He goes further in this discussion to not just avoid it um, personally, but he calls on Titus and he says this in verse 10. Look at this. He says, um, as for a person who stirs up division, stirs up division, he goes to the really the divisiveness and the idea of separation, and really all those things are dividing things. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, let's talk about that person. What do you do with them? What do you do with the dangerous life in your midst? Verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. You, you see, um, I, I think that sometimes in the church that we uh, say, hey, it's good to be uh, arguing and, and dividing and, you know, it's just, it's just healthy. You know, that's what our country was born out of is arguments like this. Hey, it may be the way our country was born is to argue about what's right and what's wrong. But in the church, we're not ones of prideful forcing of our own way. But we are rather humbly sitting before the word of God, uniting on what he has said. That's what we are. And he says, I want to tell you that division is dangerous. It's dangerous in a church. We're going to talk about this over and over again. In fact, as I think through the New Testament, there's just over and over us talking about unity and division. Why? We're prone to divide. 
We're prone to it in our pride. And instead of being those kind of people who divide, we are called to unite over the Word of God. And he says, this divisive person, you you need to take care of it. You you need to go to them. And how are we to go to them? Well, um, it's the call. It's the call to take the off-ramp. You can picture yourself on a freeway and you're driving along, you're driving along and you go, ah, I got it taken care of. I'm, I'm heading down a road. I'm, I'm heading in a direction. And, and the call is from someone outside, get off the freeway. Take the off ramp. Don't go that way. You're going in a bad direction. You, you know what? Um, part of encouragement is the admonishment of telling one another when we're wrong. Telling one another when we're wrong. We think that sometimes being uh, uh, free thinkers is a good thing. and It's wise to allow yourself to think, but think governed by the truth of God. Just because I think it doesn't mean I'm right. And we should be willing and connected in such a way that we'd be willing to say, You've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop thinking that way. Paul calls Titus and he says, tell them once. And even tell them twice to warn them. What? Because of immorality? No, because of division. He says, warn them once and warn them twice. And then uh, have nothing more to do with them. This is a, a... a very rudimentary picture of church discipline, that there's a, a sense of warning and calling. And, and not just once. There's not a sense of, yep, I told you once, you're out. It's a sense of repetition, of calling someone, of desiring. It, it's the shepherd's voice saying, no, don't go there, come back. We seek to reclaim you who are lost. He says, call him once, call him twice, and yet there comes a point in time where we are called to not have anything to do with them. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think there's really a uh, two-fold purpose to that. The first one is this, that it's a danger to the others. It's a danger to the others. If you allow a divisive person to have their place in a church they will take out others and destroy other uh, unity in the church. Okay? I think that's the first thing. The second thing, um, there's a sense of judgment and discipline, depending on who they are, whether they're believer or unbeliever. It's good to have to stand out in the rain. It's good to have the world come crashing down upon you when you're doing things wrong. Why? Because it drives you back to the truth. It drives you back to where you need to be. He says, uh, warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing more to do with them. And then it makes a proclamation in verse 11 of what the person's heart is like. It says this, knowing that such a person, the divisive one that will not repent, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, it's the idea that they're twisted and lost in their own sin. I think division, most of the time we don't think of that as being this huge sinful thing. The scripture does. And it says he is self-condemned. 
the picture the picture of that is this that you know who did it by the way they acted right sometimes we wonder about sins in the heart and we go oh, i wonder if that person is sinning in their heart when they are divisive when they're acting in a way to divide the church we know why um well uh it's kind of like this uh my daughter's six, and so we can uh, talk about her freely. And it's not gossip, and I'm a parent. Um, uh, I went into the kitchen one time, and uh, she she was happy and joyful, as most of the time she is. And um, I said, have you been snitching chocolate? And she kind of smirked and smiled. And she said, yeah. You know how I knew? There was chocolate all over her face, right? It showed. It wasn't brain surgery on my part. I didn't have to have a camera or anything. It showed. And the picture here is this, that of the divisive man, you you don't have to make judgments and assumptions and all these things. You just have to connect the dots. They are dividing. They are dividing. And so in doing this division and being this divisive person, they self-condemn. This isn't from the outside. This shows who they are. But a few things I just want to share in conclusion uh, this morning, um, just to maybe help you think this through. The first thing is this. Uh, when it comes to good works, do what comes from the gospel, not what comes from your birth. Okay? I want to separate those things. Do what comes from the gospel, and not what comes from your birth. What comes from your birth is a prideful sense of good works, that you want to trumpet what you've done, you want your teacher to acknowledge it, you want your friends to see how good you are, and it builds you up inside to think what a great person you are. Don't do that. Don't do that. But do what comes from the gospel. What comes from the gospel is a heart that's set free, a heart of abundance of, like, God has been so good to me. He has, been, he has freed me. I, I just have time and energy and unction because of the gospel so that now I can give freely without being noticed. I can give freely without uh, needing some kind of return. I can give generously, not worried if I'm somehow going to be bankrupt at the end because He has taken care of me and He's promised to continue. Do what comes from the gospel, not what comes from our birth. The second thing I just want to tell you, and I'll just leave it at this, being divisive in the church is sinful. Being divisive in the church is sinful. And it's like one of those things that we should avoid like a landmine. That, that when we get close to it, we should go, no, I, I can't walk that way. We should go out of our way. We should take our personal detour so that we would not be divisive. Because this is his church. He's loved us so much. He sent his son to die for us that we might have position. And, and not just position in his family, but a permanent, he's, he's an, he called us an heir. He called us an heir. One who has all the riches of heaven because of our relationship with him. 
Let's pray and ask that God would make us mindful of these things. God, thank you. Thank you for the grace of the gospel. Lord, I ask that you would rise up an army uh, that based upon your gospel are going about doing good works. That we are living under your promptings and being generous and kind and merciful and serving slaves to one another because we want to. God, I ask that you would uh, make our hearts sensitive to not being divisive or wasting our life in such a way that we would be uh, found unprofitable and that worthless life that we don't want to be a part of. God, thank you for this morning. May your word continue to speak to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.